Well, we began this service with a new song, new to EBC anyway. Uh, it was called When Trials Come. It begins, when trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. Now, trials are things that we go through that test our faith. They try our faith. And often it's in our trials that we see God's faithfulness to us. The night of Jesus' trial, Peter, the disciple, went through his own trial. You see, Peter was used to trusting in his own strength, and he needed to see his weakness. He needed to feel the pain of denial to bring him to a greater trust in Christ. Listen as I retell a bit of that story from Luke's gospel. It was during Jesus' last supper, you see, when Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, that your faith may not fail. But I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, no, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Well, later, that same night they arrested Jesus, Peter followed at a distance and he sat down in the courtyard with others gathered around. And there, a little servant girl saw him seated in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him. He said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another said, certainly this fellow was, a, was with him. For he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And he remembered that the Lord had said, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You know, how easy it is for fear to lead us to sin. Often fear opposes faith. And we're tempted to give in to fear. Fear often presses us to take matters into our own hands rather than to trust the God who promised to be with us, even to the very end of the age. In the passage today that we're looking at, Abram faces the threat of death. In what will be the first of several trials or tests of his faith in God's promise that we saw last week. My prayer for us is that we won't give in to fear, but rather that we'll see that the Lord preserves his promise to his people until his plans are complete. That's the main point of the sermon today. 
The Lord preserves his promise to his people until his plan is complete. And we're going to consider the Lord's grace, one through fear and trials, verses 9 to 12, in plans versus promises in 13 to 15. Then how God preserves his promise in 16 through verse 2 of chapter 13. And then finally, we'll end with Abram's return to Bethel. Now, reviewing a little bit from last week, Genesis 12, 1 to 8, we found that at this point in the life of Abraham, his name is not Abraham. His name is Abram. God had commanded Abram, go from your family, your country, your people to the place I will show you. Then he promises blessing, offspring, land. And for Abram, these these are big promises. And Abram believes, believes enough to make that move with his wife, his nephew, and everything he had. And as he enters into the land, God appears to Abraham. And he makes yet another promise. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. In response, Abram does two things. He builds altars to worship God, and he called on the name of the Lord. The creator, God, had become Abram's God. And Abram worships God with a faith like the faith of the men of old. But Abram's journey of faith is about to be met with some significant challenges. We're not told how much time actually passes between verse 9 and verse 11, or sorry, verse 9 and verse 10, but that's where it starts, where Abram's fear in trials start. And that's going to be our first point. Abram, you see, faces death in two significant trials in verses 9 to 12. First, Abram's household needs Food. Verse 10 says there was a severe famine in the land. They, they had no food. God's land of promise, well, it isn't looking so promising now. That blessed life that God spoke of doesn't feel so blessed now. But rather than calling on the name of the Lord who had appeared to him and promised to him, like he had done earlier, Abram takes matters into his own hands. And he goes down to Egypt to live for a while. Stepping out on his own might have been something that Abram was quite used to. I mean, he is a very capable person. He had accumulated many possessions. He had acquired many people to work with him and for him. He seems to have thought about everything. Even how he might be treated by foreigners when they get a look at his beautiful wife. That's his second trial, you see. Verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. 
in the span of just two or three verses, Abram's life has been threatened twice. Now, some here, I know, some here feel your life is threatened because of your faith. And I want you to understand, Jesus did say some will be hated and even betrayed by their families. And if you're facing a trial like that now, know that we are praying with you and for you. About what to say, about when to speak openly about your faith. But in the meantime, I want you to remember that verse that we looked at earlier in Matthew chapter 10. Don't fear, for your heavenly Father cares for you. Now maybe the trial you're facing doesn't threaten death, but maybe it's something more like how to provide for your family or where you're going to live or some unknown future Or maybe it's a relationship struggle that you're having. Where are you turning with these fears? Friends, don't face your fears alone. Call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. He cares for you. He's ever present for his children. And talk with your brothers and sisters in this church We cannot help you carry your burdens, according to Galatians 6.2, if you're holding them all to yourself. Friends, share your burdens with your brothers and sisters. The Lord will preserve His people of promise until His plans are complete. You know what that means? That means if you're in Christ and if he's holding you, then you will not die until your role in his purposes are fulfilled. But um, how fears challenge our faith. Let's look at Abram's response in our second point. Plans versus promises. Abram's plan with Sarai was actually premeditated. He had thought about it even before he left his father's house. We find that out in Genesis 20, verse 13. And when they did cross the border of Egypt, everything that Abram thought or expected does happen. Look at verse 14 and 15. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. Abram's life was spared. And even according to verse 16, he's treated very well because of Sarai. Consider that bride price. Sheep and cattle and donkeys and camels and servants. All because of his wife. His wife. I mean, it makes me want to shout at Abram, dude, how are you treating your wife? What are you thinking? You've endangered her life to save your own life? Where's a husband's jealous love 
for his wife in that. And what's Sarah to think of all this? I mean, she's been taken from her husband's side to join the harem of a foreign king. I mean, maybe, yes, maybe she's treated well, beauty treatments and whatnot, but she could be forced into adultery at any moment. Forced to sleep with a man who is not her covenant husband, not her husband of promise. And there it is, right? Promise. Promise. What about the promise? What about God's promise? Genesis 12, 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Friends, if Sarai is lost to another man, she cannot produce the nation of God's promise. If Abram stays in Egypt, God can't give him that land of promise. Here we find, before chapter 12 is even finished, Abram has nearly killed God's promise. Rather than trusting the God who promised back in Bethel, rather than calling on the Lord while he was still in Canaan, Abram made his own plan. Fear of starvation set Abram on a course to Egypt. Fear of murder caused him to give up his wife. You know, following his own plan wasn't working out so well, was it? I mean, it nearly led to losing God's promise if God had not stepped in. It kind of begs the question, doesn't it? How's, how's following your own plans working out for you? Do you find fear directing your decisions buzzing in your brain like a mosquito in your ear? Are you struggling with decisions or making decisions for fear that what if it goes wrong? Fear opposes faith. Fear is the driveway to doubt and distrust in the Lord's kindness. Lord's goodness, knowledge, and power. If you're struggling with fears like that, then brother, sister, fill your minds with scriptures that will remind you of God's character. Scriptures like Lamentation 3, 22 and 23 that says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Or maybe Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Fill your minds with the character of God through his word. Well, remember, the Lord will preserve his promise to his people until his plans are complete.
Let's consider now that third point. God preserves his promise. You know, God turns Abram's plans that nearly destroyed his promise. He turns them to Abram's good and to God's own glory. We see that here. First in verse 16, Abram does treat Abram well. But we know behind the scenes that God has used Abram's fear and Pharaoh's desire to bring about the purpose of blessing Abram with great wealth. The second thing is that God steps in to protect Sarah's honor, something that Abram should have done. God preserves Sarah's womb so she could play the part of fulfilling his promise of offspring. And it's no subtle stepping in either, is it? I mean, look, look there in verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife. God nearly kills Pharaoh and his house with a plague. And he makes sure that Pharaoh knows it was because of Abram's wife, Sarah. In, in verse 18 and 19, you get the sense of Pharaoh's anger as he rightly blames Abram's dishonesty. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And in anger, Pharaoh kicks Abram out of his country, kicks him out of Egypt. So fierce is that command in verse 20 <laughs> that, you know, his, his, the servants didn't even consider that all those sheep and cattle and donkeys and servants and all those things, those were Pharaoh's bride price for, for Sarah. And as he's deporting Abram, Abram plunders the Egyptian. With, with now this reputation of God's protection and much more wealth than he had when he left Canaan, God is beginning to make Abram's name great, just as he promised. Coming to chapter 13, we see that Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. The Lord, you see, is preserving his promise to his people until his plans are complete. Now, Abram Abram treated Sarai poorly, putting his own concerns before hers. But Jesus, Jesus treated his bride, the church, differently, didn't he? Now, now Jesus never married before he died, but, but in Mark chapter 2, verse 19, he calls himself the bridegroom. And, and in Revelation 21, 9, it speaks of the church as the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That is Jesus. And then in Ephesians 5.24, Paul says 
that Jesus is the best example of what a husband ought to be and calls husbands to imitate Christ who loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, when the threat of death came to Jesus, and it did, he didn't make plans. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Remember in Genesis 12, 12, Abram feared they will kill me, but they will let you live, putting Sarai into harm's way. But Jesus put himself into harm's way. Jesus laid down his own life so his bride could live. And it's that self-giving, other-focused love that is what the gospel, the good news of Jesus is all about. You see, all of humanity has turned away from God, turned their back on God. And like Adam and Abram, we think of ourselves first. Not God, not others. We don't obey God. And like Sarai, sold in slavery to Pharaoh, we've been sold in slavery to sin. We can't get out of that slavery on our own. And the end of that slavery to sin is death. Our only hope to be free from sin and its just end, which is punishment from it by God, is for someone else to pay our ransom. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived a perfect life. And he became that perfect ransom, nailed to a cross, pouring out his blood in death to satisfy the penalty of our sin and God's just judgment. His perfect life, death could not hold. And rising from the dead, he now ever lives to preserve his people in love. Freed from faith, freed through faith from sin's hold. Friends, you can now run to the nail-pierced hands of Jesus where he's waiting to embrace you. Because he embraces those who believe in his work of ransom. Friends, Jesus is your only hope. So if you do not know him, turn from your sin and run to Jesus. Don't try to make plans for yourself to save your own life. They will fail. Rather, call on the Lord in faith. Respond to his self-giving love. By giving yourself to him. Jesus has done what a loving husband does for his bride. It's what the gospel is all about. Now let's consider a couple applications for marriage and for male and female relationships. And singles, don't check out. 
because this has something for you too. Starting with the husbands. Now, hopefully, you've never given your wife to another man. Like Abram did. But have you ever put her in harm's way? Have you ever put her in a harmful situation? Have you ever been physically, verbally, emotionally harsh with your wife? What about your words, men? Maybe more so, what about the tone of your words? For all, all men, single or married, how do you treat the women in your life? Are you putting your own interests above theirs? With no regard for them or for their honor? Are, are, are women only objects of beauty as Abram and Pharaoh treated Sarai? Or, or are they objects of self-giving love? Are you quicker to blame the women in your life like Adam did in that garden? Or do you take responsibility for them? Now guys, I would say don't try to answer this question all on your own. Ask a woman close to you to grade you on how you treat women. And you might be surprised at the score. I'm sometimes shocked at how much I miss. So ask questions. And evaluate. Let, let the women in your life evaluate how you're treating women. You know, guys, we don't think the same way as women. Well, men, look to Jesus, who gave himself up for his bride. Husbands, give up your demands, your desires to serve your wife. Lead her to the Bible. Because the scriptures will cleanse her and make her more godly. Now, now women, single or married, how are you interacting with the men in your lives? Are you using your words, or maybe the lack of them, to manipulate you know, or to get your own way? Wives, do you respect your husband's leadership? I mean, come on, leading is not easy. So give him some grace. Now, if he's ungodly, or if he's doing things that seem ungodly, it's still not an excuse for you to rebel or to ignore his leadership. Consider Sarah. She followed Abram's lead, even though he put her in a very difficult situation. And and as 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6 says, that says Sarah obeyed her husband and called him her Lord. And you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not fear or give way to fear. For sure, submitting to another human being, uh, to, a, to another human, is scary. But don't give in to fear. Women, do what is right. Love and respect your husbands. Submit first to Christ and also to your human husband. 
Now, is there a point? Is there a point, wives, when you are excused from submitting to an ungodly husband? And I would say yes. If his leading opposes God's commands, it's more important for you to obey Christ than your human husband. For instance, if he tells you, don't go to church, it's a waste of time and you need to serve me. To the extent that you're able, obey Christ and not your husband in that regard. Now, unfortunately, we have seen many who are struggling in their marriages. And a particular problem that we've seen over 20 years of living in this region is violence and silence. Violence and silence. Hitting the other or withholding oneself. Harsh words or no words. Both violence and silence are sinful and destructive. Now if you notice violence or silence in your marriage, come talk to us. Don't let that trial or the fear of that trial keep you from seeking help. Come talk to your brothers and sisters. Now, singles, this all does apply to you also. And, and I know a unique thing for signal, singles, many of you are thinking about that spouse that you'd like to have one day. Just remember, that person can't be perfect, and neither are you. I caution you to look for character before charm, behavior before beauty. As Proverbs says, charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. It flies away. But a woman or a man who fears the Lord is to be praised. And church, in all of this, all of this, now everybody, I'm catching everybody now. Compare your heart, your motives against God's word. And when you find that your life is out of sync with God's word, repent. Return to the Lord. Abram, Abram went down to Egypt by his own plan, Right? But the Lord preserved Abram and his promise. And returning, Abram rightly responds to God's grace in all of that. Let's consider verses 3 and 4 in chapter 13. Abram's return to Bethel. It says, From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai. Where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram goes back to Bethel, which means the house of God. Bethel. And he calls on the name of the Lord. But calling on the Lord should have been his first response but he's doing it now. And this will not be his last either. From this point on, Abram will call on the name of the Lord 
many times. Uh, two thoughts about Abram's return to Bethel. First, seeking repentance is part of what it means to call on the name of the Lord. Now, we, can't, we can't actually be sure that Abram repents here. In fact, he'll do the exact same thing with a different king in chapter 20. But we can be sure of God's kindness to Abram. And maybe Abram is beginning to learn God's character through this journey, you see. In Romans chapter 2, Paul said God's kindness leads us to repentance. Friends, I, I pray that knowing God's kind character, that you will always turn back to Him when you sin. And you will sin. Recognizing sin and repenting is what the Bible calls the process of sanctification, of being made holy. And friends, repentance should be normal for believers. If you are not often repenting, you are not living a biblical Christian life. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, repentance is why we need one another. Like Abraham, we're not always aware of our sin. I need you, EBC. Because I don't always see my sin. And you need me. You need one another to see your sin, to call it out, and to call you to repentance. So, friend, when your sin is brought to the light, don't be quick to justify yourself. Oh, this is why I did it. Listen to what is said. As James 1.19 said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Consider the perspective of that one who's sharing with you and be quick to ask forgiveness. Forgiveness of the one that you've offended. And when we repent and when we forgive one another, that's when we display God's glory and when we magnify the worth of God in our lives. Friends, repentance is worship. Second, let's consider what does lead Abram back to Bethel so that he calls on the name of the Lord. Well, Moses actually doesn't make it so clear, yet there are several things that have happened that may contribute to Abram's change. For instance, following his own plans, Abram nearly lost his life lost his wife, and lost God's promise. 
Pharaoh kicks him out of Egypt, calling out his wrong. What's clear is that Abram's plans failed. And God saved him anyway. I was saying, think, think. Think on God's mercy to rescue sinners like us. The faithfulness of God to bless even when our plans are a total disaster. The patience of the Lord who preserves his people and his promises until his own plans are complete. As Paul says in Philippians 1.6, we can be confident of this, that he who began, who begins a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Believer, meditate on the Lord's mercy to you in Christ. You don't deserve his mercy, but Christ laid down his life to save yours. Think of the many ways the Lord has blessed you, even when your plans, your own plans, have come to nothing. How he has kept you when you can't even keep yourself. Consider the great patience of the Lord to preserve you. When you've gone the wrong direction, he's the one who pulled you out of the mud and set your feet on a rock, the rock of Christ. Oh, believers, such, let such meditations keep you always in Bethel, in the house of God, and calling on the name of the Lord, worshiping God, even when trials come. And you know, both Judas and Peter faced trials that night that Jesus was tried. Peter went out weeping, having denied Jesus. So did Judas. Judas returned the money that he had gotten to betray Jesus. Peter returned, like Abram, to the place where he first met the Lord. For Peter, that was a fishing boat. Judas gave up his life. Sadness and death. But Peter gave up his life in humility and followed Jesus. Friends, when trials come, and they will, no longer fear. Let your first turn be to call on the Lord. And, and, and if you do sin, don't stay there. Don't stay in Egypt. Return, return to God's house. Call on the name of the Lord. For God will never, ever reject a repentant worshiper. For the Lord preserves his promise to his people until his plans are complete. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, when we think of Abram's situation, how he thought.
thought so clearly of himself. Giving up his wife, nearly losing his life, giving up on the promises of God. Lord, our hearts hurt to see that. And yet we rejoice to see your faithfulness. Oh Lord, many here are going through hard times. I pray, Lord, that you would be with them. Give them confidence that you will uphold them by your mighty, righteous right hand. Father, I pray that you will cause us to be repenting Christians, biblical Christians, that we will love one another and not hurt one another. Oh, God, we need your help. Oh, God, we need you. Pray, Father, that you will help us to walk as Abram begins to walk in this journey of faith. We pray for your glory in Christ's name.